You're listening to the Galatians Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Paul has been very clear that our freedom has a purpose, that God gave us our freedom, and we are now free to do what we are created to do, to glorify God with our lives. And so in chapter 6, it becomes even more practical. This is how that works out. If you want to know how to walk by the Spirit and and avoid just following your flesh wherever it takes you, this is how you do it. And so in chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And that concept of divine retribution and divine reward is found almost in every civilization that you can imagine. The, the whole idea of reap what you sow, karma, that, that's found everywhere. In fact, um, in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, and Taoism, they all believe in, in a very similar concept to this one. Um, in, I'm going to try and say this, the Brihad Dharanyaka Apanishad in the 7th century BC, so 700 years before Jesus um, came to the earth, it says, and here they say, that a person consists of desires, and as his desire, so is his will. As is his will, so is his deed. And whatever deed he does, that will he reap. See, there's, there's that cause and effect. What you do, you reap. It's found everywhere. In fact, during this time, in the Greek civilization, in, in Rome, um, they believed in a god named Nemesis. Uh, sorry, it's a goddess named Nemesis. And so this goddess, what she did is if you did something wrong, the goddess Nemesis would follow you and eventually would seek her revenge on what, for what you had done. And so the idea of we get what we, you know, what we deserve is everywhere. It's something that's almost imprinted in our hearts. But here we have Paul saying it very clearly to believers that you will reap what you sow. And I think we're warned this because it's some, often... Because often we don't, we don't believe it. We don't, we don't understand it. We don't apply it to our lives. It's very easy to be deceived and to think that you're not going to reap what you sow, that you can get away with what you want as long as nobody finds out, as long as you covered up well, as long as you, know, you are the exception. It's amazing how many teenagers that come through the youth group and it's like they're, they're going this direction and they get warned over and over again and that they're going to reap what they sow and they just don't believe it. And so Paul is warning these Christians in Galatia who know their Bible, they know Christ, they're saved, but they need to get this principle. They need to get this concept. It says, God is not mocked. And the Greek word is maktayaritsu. This is a really cool word. And it literally means to turn your nose up at. And so this is what I want you to understand. When we do this thing, when we say, I can do what I want, and I will not suffer the consequences. Or when we doubt God and say, God, I'm afraid that if I live for you, I won't have the blessings that you promise. When we do that, when we live that way, it's like we're turning our nose up at God in pride and saying, God, I'm going to do it my way. My way is best. Okay? And Paul's very clear. God is not mocked. Yes, you can try. Yes, you can live your life that way. But if you do... Your walk will be a walk of nose up in the air at God, walking toward destruction. That's it. You will reap what you sow. 
I mean, don't think that God is not powerful. Don't think that God doesn't know. He does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul writes, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That is, that is a promise of Scripture. You will reap what you sow. Verse number 8 says, But for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, and he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We talked about that last week. It's just a, a very clear contrast. When you sow to the Spirit, when you sow to everlasting things, then there is an everlasting reward. But when you sow to your flesh, when it's all about this life and this body, all of that will be destroyed. All of it will, will decay. In fact, the picture is of a decomposing body. That, that is our, the works of our flesh. When we just go out and we, we please ourselves, it's just bringing death and destruction. This is something that, a picture that I heard drawn that was helpful as I thought about my life, and I, I just kind of looked back at my life, and I said, if there, was, if there was two fields that I could sow in, and one field was the field of the Spirit. Now, I know it's seeds that we have pictured here, but if, let's say we had two fields, the field of the Spirit and the field of the flesh. Would I say that over this past week, I have been constantly sowing, field, sowing seeds in the field of the flesh, or that I've been trying to sow seeds in the field of the Spirit? Or if I was to look at my last year, how do I live my life? Do I live my life to please the, the desires of my heart that are ungodly, that are not right? Even if it's just, I'm living for my appetite. I'm living for food. I'm living for some type of pleasure. Am I constantly sowing in that field? Or do I actually take the time to say, God, I want to sow in the field of the Spirit. I want to spend time with you. I want to try and do good, do right, love people, show your kindness, show your grace to people, um, share the gospel with people. Am I, which field am I sowing in? Because it's saying that if we sow in the wrong field, it leads to corruption and death and decay. And if we sow in the right field, it leads to life everlasting. I don't think this is a quantity of life. I think this is a quality of life. Jesus came to give us abundant life. And it's so unfortunate that so many Christians still buy into the world's philosophy that we need to, to go after all of this stuff and all of this pleasure in order to have a good life. When God says he came to give us abundant life, not just, not just eternally, but here and now. And so which field are we sowing in? Verse number nine says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. What a promise that is. Do you realize that that all of this struggle and all of the difficulty, as we seek to follow God and serve him, I mean, if if you're somebody who is really trying to live your Christian life the way God designed you to, if you're somebody that's trying to live to follow God, that is an unbelievable promise for you. Don't be weary. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weak. We're all tempted to do it sometimes, but don't. Why? Why? Because there will be a harvest. Harvest is coming. It's a promise. You might not see it now. You might not even envision it. In fact, some of it might be in eternal life, but it's coming. It's a promise from God. Um, We all get to the point sooner or later where we do weary in well-doing, where we kind of think, maybe I'll just quit. In fact, some of the most discouraging thing is to see somebody who's been living for the Lord for so long all of a sudden just seem to to drop off the face of the earth. It's, what's going on? 
don't be weary. There is a harvest. John Calvin saw this as a problem, and he, he was explaining why it was so important that we get this promise. And he said, this precept is especially necessary because we are naturally lazy in the duties of love, and many little stumbling blocks hinder and put off even the well-disposed. We meet with many unworthy, many ungrateful people. The vast number of the needy overwhelms us. We are drained by paying out on every side. Our warmth is damped by the coldness of others. Finally, the whole world is full of hindrance, which turn us aside from the right path. Therefore, Paul does well to confirm our efforts so that we do not faint through our weariness. And it's true. People drain you. Your family will drain you. This, people in this church will drain you. It'll be difficult. Sometimes they'll be cold and it's hard for you to stay hot. But we need to. Why? Because there will be a harvest. We shall reap if we don't faint. Um, and we see Paul promise this to people all over the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 3.13, But brethren, be not weary in well-doing. It's, it's over and over again. There is a reward. Listen, the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins, the fact of his love, it's enough to motivate us for the rest of our lives to, to pursue and to love him. But do you know what is wonderful about the New Testament? That we're given that as the great motivation. And then all over the New Testament, we're giving these, these promises of reward, of God caring for us, of God being with us. That it's not just do that and you're left alone. It's do that and know that there is a harvest coming, that there is a reward. This is so encouraging for those, especially when we're suffering. Don't be weary in well-doing. Verse number 10. As therefore we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Therefore, this this is what this all is for. So when you go out and you live your life, make every attempt to do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So Paul gives us this universal command. Be doing good all the time to all people, everybody you meet. Unsaved, saved, people at the store, people in the line at Tim Hortons. Wherever you are, do good to men. But especially, or we might say beginning at, those who are of the household of faith. Those who are part of this church, family. I mean, what does that mean? When we have opportunity, do you think he's saying... If sometime opportunity just knocks you over the head, then it's finally time. If, if God just puts this need in front of you and says, there's nobody else you need to do this now, or do you think maybe he's saying, look for opportunities? You know, have opportunities presenting themselves all the time, because they do. There's opportunities to be good to people all the time, to smile, to be kind, to be generous, and we miss them because we don't have eyes. One of the things that, that actually pastors helped me with so much, because when I came to, to Maple City nine years ago, um, almost ten years ago, actually, um, one of the things I wasn't very good at was seeing people's needs. I, I thought that if God wanted me to do something, then it would just be so crystal clear, like the person would come up and ask me to do it. No, that's not how it works. How often, when you're in need, do you want to ask for help? You never want to ask for help when you're in need. But people, we see that people are in need, right? If we're actually looking, if we're paying attention. And so what the Bible's saying here is when we have opportunity, when we're, as, we're, as we're looking for these opportunities, do good. Find a way to do right, to love. 
okay, to all people and especially here. J. Brown offered an interpretation of this important principle, and he, he was explaining the relationship of the church and the world and how we start at the church. And he says, Every poor and distressed man had a claim on me for pity, and if I can afford it, for active exertion and pecuniary relief. But a poor Christian has a far stronger claim on my feelings, my labors, and on my property. He is my brother, equally interested as myself in the blood and love of the Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him in heaven. He is the representative of my unseen Savior, and he considers everything done to his poor afflicted as done to himself. For a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it is monstrous. And can I tell you something? Some of the easiest people to be angry with and to hate are fellow Christians. Sometimes they just drive you nuts. You know, they, they... seem sometimes so self-righteous and so full of themselves. Sometimes they're, maybe it's just a doctrine thing. Maybe they just believe something that you don't believe. Sometimes it's easy for us to demonize these people who are children of God just like we are. And why do we think that we're so perfect that we have the right to think that we're so much better than them? Aren't we doing the same thing that we accuse them of doing? We need to be so careful that we're we're loving people, and it starts with other believers. Christ said that people will know we're his disciples if we love one another. That wasn't even just love everybody. That was starting here, loving one another. That's also what Paul is saying. When we have opportunity, do good, especially starting here, the household of faith. So in light of our text, I want us to consider two things. I want us to consider, first of all, how we got where we are today. How you got here. And I'm not saying to the church. I'm assuming you drove. Um, how did you get to this point in your life? I think we live in a world that has professionally groomed us to blame everybody else for any problems that enter into our lives. Um, I had an opportunity recently to meet with an, a couple different guys, and they're not a part of this church, and their lives are falling apart. I mean, both of them, just sad, sad lives. But what's incredible to me is when you talk to them, they have this world figured out. I mean, they know it all. And so they spend the majority of the time trying to correct somebody else, the person they're talking to, to correct me on why everything about my worldview is wrong. And listen, I don't have everything figured out. I have a book that has everything figured out. And I can do my best to follow it and to live by it. But I think it's amazing that we can get ourselves into such difficulty and we're we're so quick to just blame the world. When we look at this principle, you reap what you sow, doesn't that mean that what we've sown in the past we're reaping today? Now, I know that there are tragedies and difficult circumstances that come into our lives and they're not our fault. I know that. But Paul's whole command, you especially look at the book of Philippians. His whole point for Christians is that our joy doesn't come from circumstances. Our joy doesn't come from where we're at and what we have. Our joy comes from knowing the Lord and and loving him and serving him. And so, when we look at that, we look at our lives, where you're at spiritually, it's where you want to be. It's where you've chosen to be, right? 
If you have a, a great relationship with the Lord, do you know why you have that? Because you've set, spent time with him. You've spent pr- time in prayer. You've spent trying to obey his commands. You've, you've, done, you've sown well. And if we're at the situation in our lives where we're just so far from God and we just don't, we don't know what to do to get close to him, maybe it's because we've been sowing, living our lives sowing in the field of the flesh. That's it. You, you're where you're at today because of what you've done. This is not a fun thing to think about. In fact, it's, it's something that makes people angry, right? It's like, we don't want to admit that. I don't want to admit that the problems in my lives, the problems that I'm having with parenting, the problems I'm having with money, the problems I'm having, that they're all, I mean, the majority of the, the blame lies on my own shoulders. It's not fun to see, but we need to see it. Do you know what's great about the Bible? It doesn't just tell, tell you what you want to hear, but it tells you what you need to hear. It tells you the truth. The Bible is honest with us. It's honest about our sin. It's honest about our shortcomings. But this is what's great. That God looks us in the eyes and and being completely honest with us, talks about our sin and how wicked we are, and then loves us so much that he sends Jesus. And so when we think about this, you reap what you sow principle, I mean, what, what blows your mind is that God sent up this, set up this entire world with this principle in mind. It happens in nature. It happens with people. You reap what you sow. And then we sow sin and we sow wickedness. And we deserve destruction. We deserve judgment. And Christ comes and he dies on the cross for our sin. He dies on the cross in our place. He takes the reaping, the harvest that we deserve, the, the penalty, the punishment that we deserved. And so instead of us, in, in that case, instead of us reaping what we sow, we get to reap what Christ sowed. When he died on the cross, we get to reap his righteousness. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, one of the greatest and most doctrine-filled verses of the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an incredible verse that is. We get the righteousness of Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. And so, so God is honest with us. This principle, it applies. But for believers, when we talk about eternal life, everlasting life, we get to reap what Christ sowed. That's, that's a wonderful truth. Matt Chandler once said, the gospel provides for us the opportunity to have a past life. And I like that. In, you, you talk about how we got where we're at right now. And it's, it's difficult sometimes to look that in the eyes. I am here now because of me. But the gospel provides for us an opportunity to have a past life. And says that there's hope. There's forgiveness. That we can know Christ, and that we can grow in him and grow in his grace and be different people tomorrow than we are today. And so the second thing I want us to consider this morning is where we are headed. Where are we headed? One of the things that my, my old pastor said to me, Pastor Wood, um, was that your direction is more important than your current destination. And that was, that was good for me to hear at that time, because at that time, my current destination was terrible. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I'd been saved only a little while, and um, I wasn't a good kid. And I had a lot of growth to do, but he, the, the fact that he said that was really encouraging, because it made me think, if I want to be close to the Lord and 
you know, a month or a year from now, if I want to be a better believer, a better Christian, um, all I got to do is stay in the right direction, stay on the right track, do what he wants me to do. The great truth about this principle that you reap what you sow is that if we start sowing the right thing now, we start sowing the right field this week, that there will be a harvest for that as well, right? And so how foolish we are to, to sit in church and to make resolutions and to, to have this I- desire and this ideal in our mind of what we want to be and to never take steps to get there. Right? You're never going to grow this year just because you show up here. It, that's, that alone, it's not enough. But if you spend your life sowing every day to the Spirit, a year from now, you will be a different person. That's a promise. That's, that's a wonderful promise. And so where are you headed? What direction are you going in? This is true for all of us. I think we are tempted to look at look around us and to compare ourselves with each other. We're tempted to um, just sit back and think it's going to happen mag- magically, and we need to just get, get doing what's right, get doing what God wants us to do. So do the Spirit. So I want to close this morning with three things that I think will help you in that journey. Um, the first one is this. Be motivated by the cross. Be motivated by the cross. How do we daily remind ourselves and motivate ourselves to reap in the right, or to, to sow in the right field, to sow the right seed. We do it be, by being motivated by the cross. The cross provides for us unearned righteousness. It provides for us righteousness of Christ. And so that is a, a wonderful truth that can motivate us to know that, that God has forgiven us, that he loves us that much, that, that our sin put him on the cross. I mean, how do we continue in the sin that we know put our Savior on the cross? And we do it, but I think if we would, were to think that way more often, it would help us to tr- start sowing in a different field. In light of our justification, apart from keeping the law, in light of our complete inability to keep the law, but in light of his glorious grace to us, let's sow in the right field. Let's walk by the Spirit. The cross also provides for us a perfect example of endurance. And so if we would just continually look to the cross, we would see our Savior providing a wonderful example for us of endurance through suffering. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And so look to him. Consider him. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. that's, That's the context there. So if we look to Christ, we get this wonderful example. Uh, 1 Peter 2.21 says, For even hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So the cross provides a wonderful example of endurance. If we want to know how to endure through this life, and even in the hard times to sow in the right field, continually gaze at the cross. You will see his love, and you will see his example. Number two, find strength in the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul provides his chapter on the resurrection. It's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. He talks about how if if the resurrection is not true, if Christ is not alive, then we are the most miserable people on the planet. This whole thing is is a lie. It's foolish. We should go home. But if if he's alive, if we really serve a risen Savior, then we have joy. We have victory in Christ. 
that all of the promises that he made to us are true and real, and that we have this eternal reward to look forward to. I mean, what a wonderful chapter. And at the very end of the chapter, this is what he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Your work, the hard work, it's not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because he's alive, because he's risen. Because there will be a harvest. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Can you imagine that? The spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us? And so draw your strength from the resurrection. Remind yourself that Christ is alive, that he's with you. Okay, practicing the presence of Christ, it's the most, one of the most helpful things to do. It will help us to sow in the right field. And finally, number three, trust the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. Listen, I, I know we believe the Bible. You know, I, I know we believe that Christ died and he rose again. I know we believe those things. But what I'm saying today is, is every day claim those promises. Claim those truths. Okay? Make them yours. You will reap what you sow. And so if you believe that, if you really believe that, then go home and sow in the right field. Sow the right seed. If you really believe that, then quit sowing to your flesh. Because if you really believe it, you know that it leads to destruction. Sow to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Do good to all men. Spend time with the Lord. It will reap a harvest. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Um, this is Jesus speaking through John to the church of Smyrna, the church that was suffering greatly. And he said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Your circumstances will not always be good. You will go through a lot of difficulty. And some people will even hate you. He says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What he's saying there is, for us to go to our deaths is gain. It's better than for us to live our lives not being faithful to the one who saved us. Faith is stepping out and just being faithful. How do we sow to the spirit? How do we live by faith? All these things are synonymous, aren't they? You just be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. Spend time with him. Don't, don't do a show. Don't put on a happy face here at church and then not love and know the Lord throughout the week. Just walk with him every day. Every day sow the right seeds and, and you will reap a harvest. Um, I want to conclude this morning with just a verse from Deuteronomy. And, and I know that God was making this, setting this down as a principle, and it was for the people of Israel. But this is God's people, and this is how our God functions. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28 says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day, and go after other gods, which you have not known. It is easy for us as believers to be deceived. 
But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. There will be a harvest, and so don't quit. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you that it's such a a clear, practical reminder for us that we need to sow in the right field, Lord. We need to, to live our lives to please you. We need to live our lives close to you. Lord, we're so easily deceived into thinking that the joy and the peace that you promised in Scripture is going to be found in, in this world. And you've made it so clear, Lord, that it just won't. Um, and God, we often want to be our own gods, and we, we get ourselves into such dilemmas because we don't follow your truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to see clearly what the Bible says, that we need to every day be sowing to our spirit. We need to be walking with you. We need to be doing good to all men, especially those um, here at this church. Lord, help us to love our brothers, to love the world like you do. Uh, Lord, help us most of all to love you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died to save us and that all of this is possible. Eternal life is possible because of what he accomplished on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.